Hey, I'm Naturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to another part two, season three of Unnatural. Yeah, on the Red Ripper. Now, Emily, if they haven't listened to part one, what should they do? Go back and listen to it. <laughs> you might want some context. Yeah, you probably do. But we will give you a quick recap to refresh your memory here. Last week, we learned about some of the horrific acts committed by the Red Ripper. And believe you me, that was just kind of the Cliff Notes version. We learned that this serial killer in the Soviet Union would gouge his victims' eyes out, sexually assault them, and even in some instances, chew parts of their limbs off before stabbing them to death if they weren't dead already. We left off with Andre moving to Rostov, after he felt he could no longer live in his homeland after being shamed and teased about his impotence and odd behavior. Andre had always kind of been a bit off, but from everything I've researched into him, no one at this time considered him dangerous. But that all began to change with the change of scenery. This is part two of Andre Chikatilo, The Red Ripper. Andre would move to Rostov in 1961, and for a while, his younger sister, Tatiana, lived with him until she found somebody and got married in the area. And I think it's worth noting that years later, Tatiana would say she didn't see anything amiss. She didn't see anything that was off with Andre in the six months that she lived with him. About a year later, Tatiana introduced Andre to a young woman named Theodosia, and the two would soon... Theodosia? Yeah, I looked into the name. Apparently, it's actually a part of the Crimea area. So, apparently, she was named after a region in Russia, or Ukraine these days. Uh, Theodosia and Andre would soon become married. Now, because of his impotency, the couple had problems conceiving a child, as you could probably imagine. Sounds like a real humdinger, if you ask me. Well, it's about to be, because they had to find, let's just say, alternative ways of getting pregnant, which I'll leave up to your imagination. (laughs) Did they have to use, like, the old turkey baster method? Oh my god, it's even worse. They did these alternative ways enough that she did, in fact, get pregnant. (laughs) And believe it or not, she had a baby. A baby girl named Ludmila in 1965 and four years later, a boy named Yuri. So around the same time, Andre obtained his degree in Russian literature and began his teaching career soon after. I know what you're probably thinking. This guy should not be a teacher. That is 
one of the many thoughts yeah. that ran through my head. Not, not yeah. exactly a, a good career choice for him. But now, although Andre was well-versed in the subjects he taught, it sounds like he wasn't a very good disciplinarian and his students didn't really respect him. So he was often mocked and teased, much like when he himself was a kid growing up. Oof. By the time the early 70s came around, it was believed that this was when Andre com- committed his first known sexual assaults. And they were on the very students that he was teaching. Oh, no. I'll spare you some of the details here, but in the first incidents, he fondled a 15-year-old girl in the school's swimming pool. What? Yeah. In the second, he legitimately locked one of his underage students in the classroom after class alone with himself, beat her, and then sexually assaulted her. What the fuck, dude? And even some of his fellow teachers reported him to the director as well, saying that they would catch him like touching himself throughout the day as female students walked by. Yeah, just what you want to see from one of your male teachers. I mean, can you imagine? No. And uh, even after all of this, it probably won't surprise you, Emily, to hear that although the school was informed of these incidents, Andre was not disciplined for either one. Shocking. Right. Because why would a man be held accountable ever? Yeah, especially in this day and age. Kind of like in the Tanya Cash episode. I think if we remember correctly, several people reported um, that guy for like being inappropriate with students and yada yeah. yada and like nobody ever did anything. Nope. Yeah. Just seems to be a recurring theme. Now, it sounds like this school was also a boarding school. And Andre was responsible for making sure that the kids were in bed at night. Oh, no. But as you can imagine, he used this position of power that he had Mm -hmm. over the girls in the dorms to his own advantage. Uh, He would frequently barge in on them unannounced while they were changing. Doesn't sound like he committed any sexual assaults during this. But I'm sure he would have if he could have. Yeah. Andre eventually did have so many complaints against him that the director finally had to give him the ultimatum of either resigning or being fired. So she should. He chose the former. And to my knowledge, none of these horrible incidents went on record. So, of course, he very quickly was able to obtain another teaching job in the Rostov region. I mean, this could have been thwarted right then, or at least he wouldn't have been a teacher anymore. In 1978, he transferred to a technical school in the northern part of Rostov. And this is also around the time it is believed that he committed his first murder on a nine-year-old girl named Yelena. Nine? Yeah.
Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, some are predators and some are prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit BrokenLimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. I know we did this in the first episode, but I think um, this part uh, would warrant another trigger warning here because some of these, I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even write down everything because I didn't want to say it. It was that bad. It reminded me, remember way back when we first started and... I did the story of the monster of the Andes, Mm -hmm. that guy down in South America, kind of like that guy, almost as bad. So after he set himself up in this new city and new school, Andre secretly purchased an old rundown shack near the river, which just saying that, you know, what's probably going to end up happening. Yeah. One day in late December of 1978, he lured a nine-year-old girl named Yelena into the shack. He attempted to rape her, but he, being impotent, was not able to get an erection. As Yelena began to struggle to get away, Andre stabbed her three times in the abdomen area, only then becoming excited enough to ejaculate. He would later, I know. He later said that after he stabbed her, he heard her muttering something hoarsely underneath her breath, but he wasn't sure what it was. Oh my God. He then threw her body into a nearby river, and she was found two days later on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve? <clears throat> That's when her family was notified. Poor baby. I know. And as difficult as that was to hear, Emily, the good news is Andre left several clues to police that he was the perpetrator of this horrific crime. For starters, blood spatter was spotted on the fence line near Andre's shack. So that's strike one. Mm -hmm. Also, neighbors reported that Andre had been in that shack on the date Yalina was killed and her backpack had been found nearby. So strike two. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, a man fitting Andre's description was spotted by an eyewitness speaking with Yalina at her bus stop the morning of her murder. So strike three. They got him, right? You'd think. 
Well, you would think wrong then, because as it turns out, police found an easier culprit to pin this on. What? Yeah. A 25-year-old man who had recently been released from prison for the rape and murder of a teenage girl. He just happened to be living in that area. They searched his home and found blood on a piece of his wife's clothing. And they found that the blood had matched Yalina's blood type. And apparently that was all they needed, I suppose. (laughs) I know. And, and that case actually got crazier because after years of back and forth with the legal system, that man was actually executed for Yalina's murder in 1983, a murder he was completely innocent of, although it's kind of hard to feel bad for the guy since for whatever reason, he was released super early after raping and killing another girl years before. Yeah, but still. I know. And as we've seen countless times before, when these killers get a taste of this kind of thing and get away with it, it's almost inevitable that they're going to kill again. Right. And that's what Andre did. In March of 1981, his teaching career finally came to an end when several of his former and current students of both sexes, by the way, came forward with sexual assault allegations. So Andre began a job as a supply clerk in Rostov shortly thereafter, which was kind of the perfect occupation for someone with his tendencies as it offered long periods of travel throughout the area. So he could kind of scope out different areas that he wanted to find these young girls and take them into the nearby woods. Well, disgusting. I know in September of that year, Andre lured a 17 year old girl named Larissa from the bus stop. He did this by telling her that he had a spot by the river where they could drink vodka and relax. And upon entering the woods, he threw her onto the ground ripping her clothes off as fast as he could. Meanwhile, Larissa is fighting him fiercely and screaming at the top of her lungs so somebody hears her because they're not that far away from the road. Yeah. And since Andre had no knife or weapon on him at this time, maybe this was more of a spontaneous thing. The way he got her to be quiet was he shoved as much mud into her mouth that it actually went into her esophagus and almost stopped her breathing right there. Oh my God. And then he strangled her to death. Since, as mentioned, he didn't have anything to cut with, he used his own teeth to dismember parts of her body before burying the body underneath the leaves. That is absolutely wild. I mean, he used his teeth, his teeth, his mouth. Yeah. To dismember a person, a girl. And it, at this point, I'm wondering, like, where did it all go wrong with this guy? Yeah, we had heard that his mom wasn't the nicest to him. Obviously, he had his sexual dysfunction issues, but 
it's just hard to imagine somebody going this deep and this dark, but unfortunately gets even darker for Andre. Less than a year later, he happened to be walking home and he uh, encountered a 13-year-old girl named Lubov Biuric, who he dragged again into a wooded area, stabbing her 27 times while trying to perform sex acts. When she was found dead a few weeks later, Soviet police started realizing that they had a serial killer on their hands in Rostov. Mm -hmm. And they finally admitted such in 1983, but that was only after 14 victims had already been brutally murdered. 14? Yeah, and that's where that this is different than in the United States because, or any Western country, I would say, it wouldn't get to that number before people would be saying that there was a serial killer. Yeah. You know? Later, 29-year-old Tatiana Petrosin was also murdered in the forest. Only this time, the woman's 10-year-old daughter, Svetlana, witnessed the killing. So Andre ran her down and beat her to death with a hammer in cold blood and decapitated her. What the fuck? I mean, I mean, this guy is like Lucifer incarnate. I mean, he is just... At this point, he's become one of the most evil people I've ever even read about. And you get his M.O. at this point. He's killing people right and left, not getting caught. I think I'm going to spare you the rest of the attacks because I think you get the points. And frankly, I'm not sure how much more any of us want to hear about some of these gruesome attacks. But this was how Andre Chikatilo became the Red Ripper. Maybe the most horrific serial killer in the history of Russia and the Soviet Union. All total, he killed over 52 victims. But in all likelihood, many experts put that number well over 60. Wow. Eventually, as you heard in our last episode, his trademark was to gouge those victims' eyes out after stabbing them to death. We also talked in our last episode about how he was apprehended at that train station. Mm -hmm. And that leads up to November of 1990. So let me paint the picture here. Andre's just been been captured. They found iodine on him to treat his wounds. And I guess he also had a pretty bad bite on one one of his fingers that investigators would later say came from a human, probably somebody trying to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. So now he's in the interrogation room. And as we mentioned, Emily, this guy, no question, one of the most sadistic killers ever to live. And he got away with this for more than 12 years. But so far, he had yet to admit to any wrongdoing. And authorities desperately needed a confession. And also... Apparently, by law, back then in the Soviet Union, authorities had just 10 days to link him to the murders before he had to be freed. So, they bring in a big-time psychiatrist 
to go one-on-one with Andre for the entire day. And when I say the entire day, that's what it was. The guy came into Andre's holding cell early in the morning and spoke with him until well after dark. Peeking into the mind of one of the worst minds of the 20th century, he gained to garner Andre's trust, and apparently it seemed to work. He let him know that he wasn't his enemy, although not a defender either. Right. Just a doctor who wanted to help him. And apparently it worked. Andre began confessing all of his crimes to the doctor, so much so that the psychiatrist later mentioned that in some respects, he probably wanted to be caught, which we've seen many times before. Tell me if you've heard that before with serial killers. Yeah. So not only did Andre Chikatilo admit to the 36 murders of which police were aware, but he also confessed to 17 more that they had no idea about. And by now, he's basically an open book. He shows the cops how he disarmed people, how he tricked them, how he tied up his victims, how he inflicted the knife wounds, and how he even had sexual relations with his victims, either in the stage of near death or after they died, since that was the only way he could achieve his fucked up climax. Ugh. He also confessed that he tasted the blood of many of his victims. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was basically the reaction I had. He said he quotes felt chills and shook all over after drinking their blood. And this is something I've never really heard before in all the time I've been covering true crime cases. He ate the nipples off both his male and female victims. What? And with the women, he would surgically cut out part of their uterus and chew on it. While with the males, he would eat their testicles. Mm. What do you even fucking say to that? Beyond comprehension how fucked up this guy was. Well, I wonder, maybe not so much like the female, but I wonder if like his method of thinking was that like if he ate the testicles that maybe in some weird way it would like help cure him of his impotence. Yeah, I don't really know exactly what the rationale. It's hard to... Well, there's no rationale behind that. But I mean, obviously, he was crazy as fuck. Right. But I, there, there is a psyche evaluation that was done on him that we'll get to here in a few moments. On the evening of December 7th, 1990, I just thought that this was something that kind of paints the picture of who he was. Uh, they, they drove, police drove Andre to the local village of Shakti Again, one of the officers had a video camera and walking between the gravestones of a small public cemetery, Andre brought them to the site of a shallow, unmarked grave. Police dug until a finely 
a child's shoe was protruding out of the ground. It was one of Andre's final victims. And all the while, while this was going on, Andre was just standing there watching, casually detached, showing no emotion whatsoever. So getting to that psyche evaluation, that was in August of 91. Police had completed their interrogation at that point, and Andre was transferred to Moscow to undergo a 60-day evaluation. And this was basically to determine whether or not he was mentally competent to stand trial. Mm-hmm. So he was analyzed by the lead senior psychiatrist, Andre Tichenko, who noted that Andre Chikatilo had various psychological problems. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And As he a attrib- non-professional, yes. Right. <laughs> he attributed these to prenatal brain damage and examining his history the doctor observed quote a steady but gradual descent into perversion end quote which i think sums it up pretty well yeah and he uh said it had been compounded by biological and environmental factors kind of nature and nurture right with his increasingly extreme acts of murder ultimately committed to relieve the tension that he had that was building up inside of him. The doctor uh, Tachenko concluded that although he suffered from what was considered borderline personality disorders, he was fit to stand trial. And believe it or not, it was actually a lengthy trial. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details. There were a number of appeals. It went all the way to the Soviet Supreme Court. And eventually, this was all going on as the Soviet Union was breaking up. So the Soviet Union no longer existed. And then it fell into Russia, Russia's hands. And it went all the way to the new president of Russia, Boris Yeltsin. And he said, no, you're not getting off. Andre was eventually convicted. He was subsequently executed in February of 1992 by a single gunshot behind the ear. And he was buried in an unmarked grave. I can see why they would bury a guy like that in an unmarked grave, too. Yeah, but do you ever wonder, like, because like they did of, that with Hitler, Bin Laden, yeah. you know? Yeah, but like all of these really like murderers and really awful people are getting buried in unmarked graves. But like, let's just think and pretend a few hundred years from now, assuming our planet is still livable. That's a big assumption. Like archaeologists of the future are digging around and they find. Oh, they're going to find them. Yeah, but like, what if, like, what if some of the bodies that, like, we've found are, like, we're really horrible, terrible, awful people, but we are just, like, now just kind of, like, worshiping them as some 
weird, like, you know, ancient scientific discovery. I don't want that for these people. I know. Mark their grave. Although, I guess here's the argument. Like for Hitler, because there's always going to be a subsection of white supremacists and neo-Nazis out there. You don't want them celebrating this guy and going to his grave all the time. You know what I mean? And I think that that was probably the thinking maybe for Andre Chikatilo too, because people would actually be glorifying what he did. Yeah. And Or like grave robbers. Yeah. And I guess they just didn't want this guy being glorified into eternity. But that's the story, the crazy ass story of the Red Ripper. One of the worst we've we've ever covered, I would say, probably on this podcast. Yeah, guy hate it. Is burning in hell as we speak, I hope. Ugh. That was a rough one. Yeah. You think if Viagra had been been invented, this could have all been avoided? No. I think my guy still would have been an awful guy, even if he yeah. could get it up. Speaking of getting it up, why don't you do that to our follower count on the social media pages? You can follow us on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod, Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We also have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. If you have any cool case ideas or just have thoughts or stories you want to share with us, you can do that at unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. What if they want to give you a big sloppy kiss? Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. And because, you know, that's why we always tell you at the end of every episode to make good choices. And don't get got. Talk to you next week. Bye. Dude, I got like four pumpkins yesterday. I I had to do a remote broadcast from a pumpkin festival and it was so awesome. They even had a they even had this giant pumpkin slingshot where you could slingshot the pumpkins into oblivion. And guess what happened to me when I I fucking bent all the way down with one of the pumpkins Mm -hmm. and my crotch ripped a little bit. (laughs) Nobody noticed, thank God. And it wasn't like in the back of my pants. It was literally like, you know, the groin area. So like the rest of the day, I was like holding my arms. (laughs) Oh, no. I thought you were going to say like you let go and it backfired and the pumpkin just right in your face. That would have been worse. Although the ripping of the crotch was not great either, but (sighs) I think it was a sign I need to start exercising more. Oh my God.
Oh man.